morning, everyone. Good to see you guys this morning. Uh, take out your notes there. They're in your newsletter. Uh, actually, I've given you guys a list of the questions that you guys submitted that we're going to be answering this morning. We've enjoyed our series. I hope you've enjoyed our series uh, called Strapped over the last four weeks. Today is our fifth week. We're going to close this out. Uh, today is going to be very different, a very different message than what we normally do where we open up the Bible and, you know, I kind of go through an outline and things. We're really going to be answering your questions that so many of you guys submitted uh, via our Facebook page, on our website, and thank you to so many of you that sent in the questions. You guys did a great job. We're going to answer about 25 questions today, and so we're going to be moving very quickly, so I'm going to speak fast, you write fast. We're going to be videoing this as we do every week, all of our messages, so you can go to our face, or go to our website page, orchardchurch.tv, and that'll probably be up later tomorrow or by Tuesday at the latest, so you may want to go back and re-watch. So if there's maybe one, because I'm going to be moving quickly, because I want to get through as many questions as we can today. So if there's one that you go, oh, I missed some of that, circle that, and then you can go back on our website, pull that up, and you can re-watch it again because uh, we're going to be answering a lot of them. Now, a lot of you have been, been asking, okay, we, we're finishing up the series uh, Strapped. What are we going to be doing next? Uh, one of the things we're known for here at Orchard Church is going through books of the Bible. We've been through about 15 books of the Bible in the last uh, seven and a half years since we started. We go to a book, and we start in chapter one, verse one, and we work our way through, and uh, we Next week, of course, is, what is next week, men? Mother's Day. Some of you men, I just helped you out big time, okay? Next week is Mother's Day. So we have a very special Mother's Day service plan. We're going to have some kids up here singing. There's going to be some Mother's Day skits and some videos. And it's and we got special, really nice gift for all the ladies next week. You do not want to miss Mother's Day at Orchard Church. It's always a very special day. So we have Mother's Day. And then we have one week before Memorial Day weekend when people start vacationing. And so this is what we're going to be doing for one week, the, the week right after Mother's Day. Watch the screen. You'll see it behind me. Yes, you saw that right. We're going to do one book one Sunday, believe it or not, okay? And it's not the book of Leviticus, okay? I'll give you a hint. Now, next week, if you just pay attention to what we're putting up here, there's little subliminal messages about what this one book might be. But I'll give you a hint. You guys ready for a hint? This is the one book, one week we're going to do. It's between Genesis and Revelation. It's right in there somewhere, okay? But believe it or not, we're going to tip one book in one week, and that is in two weeks. You don't want to miss that, and uh, we'll be kind of giving you sneak peeks of what that book is going to be. Uh, and then after that, after Memorial Day, as we get into summer, we're going to do a book of the Bible throughout the summer. And uh, at different times, we get suggestions from you guys, or sometimes we even ask you, what book of the Bible would you like to do next? And uh, other than the book of Revelation, which we did a couple of years ago, probably the most requested book of the Bible that we've received is the book of Genesis, the book of Genesis. So we are going to tackle the book of Genesis this summer. Now we're, we're not going to go verse by verse through all of it. There's a lot of genealogies, but we're going to kind of go chapter by chapter and take different stories. So we're going to do stories of Genesis. So, so major stories, you know, creation, Adam and Eve, Abraham, you know, Jacob, uh, Joseph. We're going to be hitting the major stories and themes of the book of Genesis. We're going to call it beginnings, stories in Genesis. So does that sound exciting to you? 
guys. So don't take the summer off from Orchard Church. Take your vacation, but when you're in town, you're not going to want to miss. It's going to be really good and really practical as we go through the book of Genesis. So I want to let you know that. So today we're going to do these question and answers. Um, I will tell you if there's an answer that has to, if there's a Bible answer, I'll try to throw out uh, some scriptures for you, give you some references. We've looked at a lot of these through this series, and uh, I'll tell you if, if there's something the Bible has to say about it. A lot of these, um, you just maybe the Bible doesn't specifically give a verse, but I'll give you kind of my opinion, or I'll give you what I think would be a wise decision on these. I certainly don't claim to be an expert on finances. Uh, the expert that I refer to is Dave Ramsey. I've mentioned him a lot, and uh, Dave Ramsey's actually via video going to help us answer some of your questions today. We were able to locate some video where he is uh, being interviewed by another pastor friend of mine, and people have, have submitted questions, and a lot of them are the same questions you submitted. So we're going to kind of go back and forth between myself and Dave Ramsey this morning, helping us out uh, with these questions. So you listen fast, take notes fast. Here we go with the first one. Am I throwing away money by renting a home instead of owning? And I would say not necessarily. Um, ultimately, I'd love to see you own your own home. I think that's a great goal to have. I think it is a good investment most of the times. It's starting to come back. And we have a lot of realtors in our church. And if I say that it's not a good idea to buy, they will kill me afterwards. So, no, it's a good thing. It's a great goal to have to buy a home. And I think it's what is even better goal is to have a paid-for home by the time you retire, which is very possible if you apply the things we've talked about. But let me tell you when it's not wise to buy a home. A, a couple of times. I'd say it's not wise to buy a home and maybe it would be better to rent for a while. Number one, it's not wise to buy a home when you, when you buy more than you need or more than you can afford. A lot of people have gotten in a lot of financial trouble in the last few years because they bought more than they needed and more than they can afford. It's also not wise to buy a home before you're ready, before you're financially ready to buy a home. You say, well, how do I know when I'm ready? I'm going to mention this. Dave Ramsey's going to talk about it a little bit as well in one of the questions. I think that you know you're ready to buy a home when you can put 20% down and you can do a 15-year mortgage instead of a 30 so you can get that paid off as quickly as possible. I know that's not always possible, but that's wise when you can do that. Uh, it's not wise to buy a home when you have a lot of other debts and no emergency fund. That's not a good time to buy a home because things are going to break down. Your roof's going to leak. The AC's going to go out. The toilet's going to back up. And when you own that home, guess whose responsibility it is to pay for those things? It's your responsibility. When you're renting, it's the owner's responsibility. So it's not wise to buy a home if you have a lot of other debts and no emergency fund. Get those things in order first before you buy. And it's also not wise to buy a home if you might be moving in three to five years. Some say three, some say five. If you know that I'm going to be moving in three to five years, it's probably not wise to buy because you're going to lose about 8% on the sale of that home. You're going to lose 5 to 6% on the commission you're going to probably pay to one of our wonderful realtors here at Orchard Church. Right, Mike? Did I say right? Okay. And, or you're going to also lose about 2% on the closing cost. So it's hard to recoup that 8% in three years, especially in kind of the housing market the way it's been. So that's, that's some thoughts on renting versus buying. Here's another question. Should I borrow money to go to college? Should I borrow money to co go to college? Um, I looked this up. The average uh, college uh, graduate now is $25,000 in debt when they come out of college. And that's the average. I know many people I've talked to are $40,000, $50,000. A lot of young couples, uh, each of them are $25,000. So it's a $50,000 uh, between the young married couple. So should I borrow money to go to college? I think the better question or bigger question is, should I borrow money? 
Should I borrow money at all? Should I go into debt for anything? Uh, and, and we've talked a lot about debt in this series, and I would say this. The Bible doesn't forbid debt. It does not forbid going into debt, but it has a lot to say about when you are in debt. And we've looked at this verse throughout our series. It's kind of been our theme verse. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7 says that the borrower is servant or slave to the lender. So you, when you go into debt for anything, you have, have to ask yourself, how long do I want to be a slave? How long do I want to be a servant? How long do I want to have this ball and chain of debt around me? Because until you get it paid off, the borrower is servant to the lender. And so if you're in debt, you're in bondage. And you need to think about that. Um, Deuteronomy 23, 19 tells us that we are not to charge interest to other believers. So if somebody, if you loan some money to another believer, you shouldn't charge them interest. And here's some other verses. Uh, Psalm 37, uh, 21 tells us if you borrow money, you better repay it. Uh, Psalm 37, 21 says, the wicked borrow and they do not repay. And, and there's nothing worse in our Christian testimony than borrowing a bunch of money and not repaying. And so you got to think about that when you borrow that money. Romans 13, 8 tells us, owe no one anything except to love one another. And so keep that in mind. I think the problem with borrowing money for college today is the default response to going to college is, I'll just borrow the money. You know, I'll just get a student loan. That's kind of the default response. And, well, we've just accepted everybody's going to be in debt to go to college. And we need to be very careful of that because the last statistic I heard is over 50% of college graduates today cannot find a job. So imagine being $25,000, dollars $40,000 in student loan debt and you get out and you can't find a job or you can't find a job that'll pay you good enough to repay that debt. So you have to take all those things into consideration. So rather than just saying, well, I want to go to college, I guess I'm going to have to borrow the money. Be wise. Um, look for scholarships. There's a lot of scholarships that are out there. Uh, you can look on, online. You, you, I mean, they give scholarships for, you know, your, your, your hair's brown. You know, you get a scholarship, you know, or blonde. or I mean, this crazy stuff. So look for scholarships. Look for grants. Work while you're in college. Uh, be willing to work some to, to, so you don't have to go into debt. Um, go to a less expensive school. You know, maybe it's better. I mean, we got a lot of great colleges right here in Denver. You know, maybe you could stay home at least a, a couple of years. Go to a junior college. You're just going to take your basics anyway. Do anything you can to cut money so you don't come out of college with a, with a bunch of debt. All right? Um, another question here is this. How much of a child's college education should parents pay for? How much of a college of a child's college education should parents pay for? Well, being that I have a son that's going off to college next year, I would say none. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, you know, I, I think this is, a, I, I, this is my opinion. Uh, there's, I think this is a very personal decision. It varies from family to family, and each family has to decide um, what they're comfortable with, what they can do, what they're capable of doing. Um, my opinion, my opinion is this. Um, I think that, you know, we want to do everything we can to help our children that want to go to college, but I, I'm not a big believer in paying for all of my kids' college because I, I strongly believe in no investment, no value. And we value those things that we invest in. I want to make sure my kids have some skin in the game. And so, you know, it's not all just on mom and dad. And so we're going to help do what we can. But I think it's important that they work and they pay and they do and they do their part because that they'll value that much more. Um, and if, you know, if you could pay for all your kids' college, if you did that and you're in a financial position to do that, then praise God, that's great. If you choose to do that, we're not able to do all that, so we're going to be able to help. But I think that's all, also good for them. And if you have any other kids' college you'd like to pay for, please talk to me afterwards. 
All right, should, here's the next question. Should we pay cash for home improvements or get a home equity loan to benefit from the tax deductions? Get this question asked a lot. You know, you want to you put in a pool. You want to redo your bathroom or, or your kitchen. Um, you know, should you get a home equity loan or should you pay for it? I would say you need to save the money and you need to pay cash. We've learned that throughout this study. If you want something, you save up the money and you pay cash. You don't go in debt. When you do the math, the tax deduction is never what you think it is. It's much better if you can always just save the money and pay cash and don't pay interest. And then you can swim in your debt-free pool. You can cook in your debt-free kitchen. You can do whatever you're going to do in your debt-free bathroom. Okay? And, and, it, and it feels great to be able to pay for those things in cash. You don't need to take out a home equity loan to do those things. That's that's my opinion, and also the math supports my opinion. All right, next question. Um, I've mentioned this several times throughout this study. Dave Ramsey mentions it uh, a lot if you go through Financial Peace University, and that is uh, you can get 10 to 12% on your investments and, and the returns on that and what it looks like when you do that over a long period of time. You know, we looked at a lot of different graphs. You know, if you put $3 a month away for 40 years, you'll be a millionaire. And so the question is, is 10 to 12% return on investment still possible today? Because a lot of people have been burnt by the stock market and things like that. And I believe that it is very possible today. Um, when we're talking about the long-term investments, not, not talking about month-to-month -month or year-to-year, -year, but the long 20, 30-year retirement type funds, it is very possible to get 10 to 12%. Now, let me just throw this out as a little help because some of you have asked, where do we put our emergency fund? You know, you don't want to just put that in your checking. It's too easy to get to and you might spend it. I don't even think it's a good idea to put it in your bank savings account, which is getting 0.100th of a percent today or whatever that is. Um, I use uh, Capital One, ING, used to be ING Direct, Capital One 360, you get about 1% on a money market fund that you can get to your money in like two days. So if you've got that emergency fund, uh, money that you may need to get to, that's a good place to put it. I know there's other places, that's just what I use. But we're talking about long-term investments. We're talking about investing you know, 25, 30, 40 years for retirement. And I looked it up, and there was a study done on the stock market. And if you go and look at any 25-year period, any 25-year period of the stock market, it has averaged in the last 100 years 9 to 10% over any 25-year period, even with the highs and the lows. Since 2008, the stock market has been averaging 13.4% just since 2008. Um, I, I pulled up a couple of mutual funds I have you know, in my retirement fund, uh, kind of like my 401k. I pulled up one last week that in the last three years has gotten 29%. 29%. So, you know, you're riding out the highs and the lows, but you can average that 10 to 12% when you look at it in the long run. All right? One more question, and then I'm going to throw it to Dave to answer a few questions, and I'll come back and answer a few more. Uh, this question is asked us often, and I like this question. Does Orchard Church ever plan to buy land or a building? Does Orchard Church ever plan to buy land or a building? And I think the better question is, does God plan for the Orchard Church to ever buy land and a building? Because it doesn't matter what we plan, we want to know what God has planned for our church. Amen? I mean, from day one, a verse that has been, meant so much to me as we started Orchard Church is Proverbs 16.9. It says that a man's heart plans his way, but it's the Lord that directs our steps. So we can make our plans and we can save, but we want to make sure that 
every decision we make as a church is made by the leading of God and that he's guiding our steps and that we never get ahead of him one step. And that would certainly apply to buying land and a building. I will tell you that since day one of Orchard Church, we have consistently put money away in a capital fund so that if God ever gives us an opportunity to buy something and we feel like God is leading us, then we have that. My goal, you guys are understanding the way I operate. We live debt-free. Our family lives debt-free except for our house, which we're going to be paid off in about 12 years is our plan. And, you know, we operate Orchard Church the same way. We've been debt-free from day one. We've never owed anyone anything. My plan would be, God willing, we could buy land paid for in cash if we bought land. I, my, my plan would be that we could even put a building on it and hopefully pay for it in cash. We realize that we may have to invest something and, and, and you know, with that, it's kind of like a house. It's different than consumer debt. Um, but we would like to be able to pay cash. So we've been putting money away ever since Orchard Church began so that if God gave us an opportunity that we felt like was a God-sized uh, deal, we would be able to, to take advantage of that. Um, you know, I believe God opens and closes doors in our life. You believe that? Say yes. But sometimes we have to jiggle the handle. We have to jiggle the handle on the door to see if it's open or unlocked. And we've been jiggling some handles uh, the last year and a half, two years at Orchard Church. You know, when we see land for sale, we'll call, check on it, ask about it in the area. Uh, there have been a couple of buildings, you know, that we've looked at. First of all, I would say this. Praise God, we have such an incredible place to meet every Sunday here at Prairie View High School. I mean, praise God for this. Um, and, and we certainly don't want to step down and, and the truth is that the size our church is now, we, we missed running a thousand people two weeks in a row by like 10 people. We were almost a thousand. I'm like, did you count the pregnant ladies? I mean, come on, guys. I mean, we got enough of those in the church. We'd get this up to a thousand. And we're looking at adding a third service in the fall. So one of the, the things a lot of churches do is they build too quickly and out, outgrow it too quickly. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to step down from this wonderful facility God's blessed us with and uh, being good stewards of that. So, you know, we've been kind of looking around. We've jiggled some handles and and just see what God's going to do. So I would say we're just going to have to wait and see what God does. You know, we're certainly planning, uh, putting money away, but we're going to have to make sure that God is in it and we'd like to be debt free if possible. I will tell you this, I'm going to ask you guys to be praying about this. Will you guys guys pray for something for our church if I ask you to? Um, Have you noticed there's there's a a big piece of land right next door to the church here? Um, There's 38 acres right next door to the church. And uh, we have actually been talking to the owner of that land for a couple of years now. Um, I think he's a little off his rocker on what he wants for that land. He lives in Chicago. Um, He's been coming down on the price a little by little. um, And just recently, he started pursuing us a little bit more about that land. It's still much more than we're we're willing to pay. Um, But he's getting closer to where we might be able to work something out. So I'd ask you guys just to pray about that. I mean, wouldn't that be incredible if we would be able to buy right next door here to the school and and could still meet here until we can utilize that fully, maybe put a ministry center on there to start and so just be praying about that as you drive by as you come in just say hey God if you'd want us to have that land that you would just you know the, the scripture says that God can turn the heart of kings so he can certainly turn the heart of a landowner and uh, you know we've offered him tax write-offs and things and so he, it's just got to be one of those deals where it's a God thing you know it's just got to be a God thing and so we'll just wait for a God thing a God-sized thing but uh, we can be praying toward that end amen and see what God will do. And if you guys, you know, feel so led when you leave here today, if you want to get out of your cars and, you know, get in a group and march around that seven times, you know, and <laughs> blow a trumpet, go for it, man. If you want to lay hands on that property, go for it. Whatever you feel led, led to do. But uh, we are not going to get ahead of God. 
We are not. It's, it, we have, I've seen too many churches uh, get ahead of God on buildings and lands. And, and uh, you know, we, when we moved here and we started Orchard Church, we said from day one, God did not bring us here to build a building. He brought us here to plant a church. And the church is you guys. The church is the people. And so God has blessed us with a great place to meet. And if he has something else for us, then he'll let us know in his timing. If not, we'll just keep enjoying what we've got. Amen? All right. Let's go to Dave Ramsey, and he's going to answer some of the questions for a few minutes. And then I'll come back out. Um, the baby steps are our way of applying God's principles that are in Scripture of handling money. Baby step one is $1,000 cash in the bank. It's the first thing you do, a little starter emergency fund. Two is the debt snowball. That's where you list your debts smallest to largest, pay minimum payments on everything but the little one, and attack the little one with a vengeance, work your way right down through them. You'll get momentum emotionally that way, and hope will kick in, and it allows you to get through the debt. Then when you're finished with all your debt except your home, you move on to baby step three, which is three to six months of expenses, a fully funded grandma's rainy day fund. Then we do baby steps four, five, and six at the same time. Four is 15% of your income going into retirement. Five is if you have kids at home that you're saving for college, it's kids' college. And six is all the extra money then goes at the house. And we're seeing people pay off their homes doing the total money makeover financial piece in about seven years average, some longer, some shorter. That brings us to baby step seven. There's nothing left to do then but become very wealthy and give a bunch of it away. Absolutely not. Under no circumstances would you do that. Now, my rule of thumb on withdrawing from the 401k is to avoid a bankruptcy or a foreclosure. I can't think of a case where there's a bankruptcy over 9200. Not a chance. Because here's what happens. When you pull money out of the 401k, the government, the IRS, charges you a 10% penalty plus your tax rate. So if you're in a 30% tax bracket, that's a 40% hit. So that's kind of like asking me, hey, Dave, I want to borrow 40 money at 40% interest to pay off my 9200 eh, Don't do that. Second question first, never buy anything but term insurance. Never do investing inside of an insurance policy. You can see the lessons are my books for all the reasons, but always do your investing somewhere else. So 15 to 20 year level term insurance. Think about how old those kids, they'll be grown and gone in 15 years, okay, most of them. Maybe 20 years at the most. And you need about 10 times your income or 12 times your income on you. So let's say he's making $56,000 a year, he gets $600,000. He passes away, God forbid, we're all going to pass away someday, and, but he passes away while the kids still need the money, the wife still needs the money. She could take 600000 invest it. If she makes 10% or so on her money, she's making 60000 without touching the nest egg. Well, we've replaced you. So don't buy too much insurance. You have to sleep with one eye open. Start with don't put money in something because Dave Ramsey said to, okay, put money in something because you understand it. God gave you that responsibility. And, and if you were managing something for me and you put money in it and you, didn't, you couldn't tell me anything about it, well, I wouldn't be happy with you. And God's the same way. He wants you to be faithful to know what you're putting the money into. Now, we suggest you put money in four types of mutual funds and spread it across those four in your Roth IRAs, your 401ks. And that's growth, growth and in income, aggressive growth, and international. My personal 401k is invested that way, a fourth in each of those.
so fun. Well, to start with, make sure you've gotten your debt out of the way and you have your emergency fund in place and we're walking those baby steps. You've got 15% going into retirement. But then once you're ready to do college, the first $2,000 a year you invest, we recommend the ESA stands for Educational Savings Account. It's kind of the Roth IRA of the college world because it grows tax-free. The first $2,000 per year per child should go into that. You can select almost any mutual fund, and if you decide you don't like the mutual fund, just like an IRA, you can roll it over to another one. You've got total control of it, total say-so over it, and that's the first money I would put in. That's $166.67 a month per child. That can amount to a lot right there. Well, of course, I like the 100% down plan. Uh, that's my favorite. But not everybody's going to be willing to wait that long, and it's not realistic maybe for some people. I don't borrow money, so I have to be consistent with my advice and not be hypocritical. It's the one area that I will tell you to, that it might be okay to do something I'm not doing. So we're okay with mortgages as long as you don't take out more than a 15-year fixed-rate mortgage where the payment is no more than a fourth of your take-home pay. And how much to put down? As much as you can, because we want to turn around and pay it off as fast as possible. But again, always be debt-free and always have an emergency fund plus your down payment when you buy. Because if you buy a home with a bunch of debt, you know, you got Sally Mae, you got to buy an extra bedroom for her. You know, you, you got MasterCard around, he's telling you what to do when the water heater breaks. And you don't want all this stuff going on in your life. So you shouldn't buy a home when you're broke. It'll make you broker. Good stuff. Dave is the man. I don't know anybody I trust more with uh, finances and advice than, than Dave Ramsey. And we'll, we'll hear from him a little bit more in a moment. And we will be putting that video on as well. So you'll see everything that's happening here. You can go back and watch it online. All right, here's another question. Uh, should we get a home equity loan to pay off our credit cards that have a much higher interest rate? This is a little bit different than the one asked earlier about a home equity loan. This one is asking, you know, do we get the home equity loan to pay off, um, you know, high interest rate credit cards? Because usually the home equity loan, the interest rate isn't as high. And I would say no on this one. I would say no. And here's a couple of reasons why. Uh, it may make sense on paper, but it doesn't make sense when it comes to lifestyle. Because the problem is lifestyle and spending. People are spending too much. And I've seen too many people go out and they get a home equity loan to pay off their high interest credit cards. And that frees them up a couple hundred dollars a month. And instead of taking that couple hundred dollars to pay off you know, the loan, what they do is they just spend 200 more dollars a month. And so I think it's a, it's a lifestyle problem. It's a spending problem. It's, it's a habit problem. And, so, and, and also you got to think about this. When you take out a home equity loan on your credit cards, now if you default on those, you could lose your home. Your home is tied up, and you don't, don't want to do that. I think that's not a good idea. Um, here's a good question. Should my husband always handle the finances? I would say yes, if he's good at it. If he can't add, subtract, or balance a checkbook, then no, no. I mean, the Bible doesn't say anywhere, you know, that the husband shall handle the finances. Now, I believe the husband and wife have to be on the same page of the finances. You have to do that budget, your spending plan together. You have to agree, you know, on your lifestyle and all of those things uh, together. But if the wife is better at it or she has maybe a little extra time to do it or whatever, then, then that is fine. The key is that you be on the same same page, though. And uh, But if, if, you know, one is better than the other, then have the one that is better at it, uh, do it. Um, another question is this about husbands and wives and finances. My wife and I have separate bank accounts. Is that wrong? Um, this is becoming increasingly more common 
especially in second marriages. Uh, I will tell you the Bible does not address this specifically. It doesn't say thou shalt not have separate bank accounts. Uh, however, I think we have to be very careful with this when we understand the way God intended marriage. Because when you get married, the two become one. They become one flesh. And it is no longer his and hers, mine and yours. And, and finances, that can play into the marriage if we're not careful. And sometimes if you have a separate bank accounts, it can become like his and hers and mine and yours. And you do not want that happening in your marriage. It is not his and hers. It's ours. You know, it is our finances. It is our income. It is our debt. It is our responsibility. And so I just say, be very careful with that because separate bank accounts can lead to you know it being separate in the marriage but there may be times that it's wise to have separate accounts um, maybe she's got a little home business or something and you need to keep that separate and maybe more it's more just of a logistical type thing and uh, that, that's okay but make sure you're on the same page in your marriage because you guys are now one we received a lot of tithing questions and I, I just said praise God that means a lot of people are planning on tithing Great, but we got a lot of questions on tithing, so I'm going to hit as many of these as I can, and then Dave Ramsey is actually going to answer uh, some of these as well. Um, and some of these we answered last week. Um, if you were here, we, we kind of, the whole week was on the buck starts here, putting God first, and I would encourage you, if you missed that one, to go back and watch that online, and we looked at everything the Bible has to say uh, about tithing, but um, you know, go back and check that out, but I'm going to answer some of these again. Should we stop tithing to get out of debt? Should we stop tithing to get out of debt? I would say no. And we learned this last week. The reason the answer is no is because the tithe belongs to who, church? To God. The scripture says in Exodus 23, 19, Leviticus 27, 30, that the tithe belongs to the Lord. It is holy. It's separated unto him. So no matter where we are in our finances, if we keep that back, Malachi 3.10 says we are robbing God because it doesn't belong to us. It's not God's fault that we got in debt. It's not God's fault that we've overspent. And so I would say a no to that. Um, you know, tithing is, we said this last week, tithing is giving God your, our first and our best so he can bless the rest. Tithing is giving God our first and our best so he can bless the rest. And do you believe that if you put God first and you're trying to get out of debt, that God might bless your efforts to get out of debt? Absolutely. And you need God's blessing on that. He might give you a raise at work. He might give you some other income that you didn't know about. You know, your rich uncle passed away and he left you something. You know, I mean, he, you might be able to sell some things you haven't been able to sell before. And so I, I, I just don't think it's ever a good idea not to put God first in the area of the tithe, regardless of where we're at. Um, what, number two, what if you don't have a job or any form of income? How then do you tithe 10%? Well, Proverbs 3.9 says, give of the first fruits of our increase. And so if there's no increase, if there's no, no money, nothing to give financially, then there really isn't anything to tithe. God doesn't hold you responsible uh, for something you haven't received. However, I think there are other ways you can tithe. You could tithe of your service. You could tithe of your time. You could tithe of your talents. You could give God back in that way until God gives you some sort of increase. Um, another question, should we tithe on cash gifts? I'll let you guys answer that. Based on Proverbs 3, 9, give of the first fruits of our increase. Is a cash gift an increase? Yeah, you didn't have it before. Somebody gave it to you. It was an increase. And, and this was asked, by, I appreciate the, the heart behind this, was asked by a parent. He said, you know, our kids, we give them, you know, allowance. And, and sometimes they get a, a financial gift from grandma, grandpa, a dollar or five dollars. Man, it's a great way 
to biblically teach your kids to put God first in those. I mean, it's not like they're bringing in a paycheck every week. If they are, tell me how you got your kids to do that, okay? I'd like to know the, that myself. But I, I think it's a cash gifts we should tithe off of. Uh, do I tithe off the sale of my home or my car? Well, that depends. If you've gotten an increase from the sale. Now, if you've bought a car and you've had it a few years and you sold it at a profit, please tell me how you did that. Okay, because I think, you know, a new car loses like 20%, you know, in the first couple of years, you drive it off their lot. So usually you're not going to sell a car and get an increase. Now, maybe, you, you, maybe you're somebody that flips cars. You know, you found a really good deal. Somebody's desperate. And you bought that car for $10,000. You turn around and you sold it for $12,000. You would tithe on $2,000 because that was the portion that was the increase. Now with the house, let's say you bought a house for $200,000 and you turned around and you lost money and you sold the house for $180,000. Would you tithe on that? No, because there's no increase. You actually went in the hole. God owes you money, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how that works. But let's say you bought a house for $200,000 and you turned around and the market was good and you were able to sell that house for $250,000. Then you would tithe on... $50,000, because that was the increase portion. Does that make sense? Say yes. Cool. All right, should I tithe off my tax returns? This is tax return season, and I would say once again, it depends. If you have been tithing on the gross, which is what I believe is biblical, giving of the first fruits of our increase, then you've already tithed on that tax return. So I would say no. Now you could choose to give an offering. You could choose to bless somebody else with that, and that's never a bad thing to do. But if you have not been tithing on the gross all year, you've just been tithing on net, or you haven't been tithing at all, and you get a tax return, then you should absolutely tithe on that. You probably need to do even more than tithe, because you probably need to catch up because you haven't been tithing uh, throughout the year. So it depends on whether you've been tithing on the net or the gross uh, throughout the year. And I also say this just a little uh, a tip, a little advice. When you get that tax return, uh, don't go out and blow the money. All right, if you have a bunch of debt, if you've got credit card debt, you know, things like that, get, if you don't have an emergency fund, take that first thousand dollars and put that in your emergency fund. Be very wise. Use that tax return uh, wisely. Um, here's another tithing question. Is tithing just an Old Testament law that doesn't apply to New Testament believers? Anytime you start talking about tithing, somebody wants to go, oh, you know, that's just in the Old Testament. That's not in the New Testament. You know, we're, that's under the law. We're under grace. We addressed this last week, but I will address it again because it was submitted. And the question, the answer to this question is, no, it is not just an Old Testament law. You can read in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham and Jacob both gave a tithe of all their increase to the Lord before, this was 400 years before the law was given to Moses. 400 years before you see them tithing off of the blessings from God. Certainly throughout the Old Testament law, you see tithing and the instructions given throughout that over and over. Um, God has to come in Malachi and correct the nation of Israel because they'd stopped tithing. They were tipping. They were robbing God. You get to the New Testament. Last time I checked, how many of y'all find that Matthew is in your New Testament? The book of Matthew. Okay, last time I checked, Matthew was in the New Testament and Jesus in Matthew 23, 23, he commended the tithe. He says, yes, you should tithe tithe and also give an offering and also remember to give mercy and grace and justice and we we addressed that quite a bit last week you could go back and watch that so tithing is not just an old testament principle it is actually a pattern throughout all of the scriptures you know when and i said this last week i'll say it again jesus in the new testament never lowered the old testament bar he always raised it didn't he he always raised it it was always higher 
Okay, so I think a, a biblical case could be made that as New Testament Christians, tithing is the very least starting place we should do. We ought to be giving tithes and offerings and giving over and above just the tithe. Um, here's another one. My husband is not a Christian and doesn't want me to tithe off our income. What should I do? That's a, that's a tough question. But, but there is a biblical answer. Um, we know that scripture tells us we are to submit to one another in love, right? The Bible talks about submitting to one another in love. And specifically, the Bible talks about the wives being submissive uh, to their husbands, and especially those that don't know the Lord or are not living according to the word of God. And 1 Peter 3, 1 specifically says to the wives, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word or not following the word of God, that they may be won over without the words, but by the behavior of their wives. So I, I tell wives that say, you know, my husband doesn't want me to tithe, that you need to be respectful of that and, and don't tithe. You shouldn't tithe. And I believe you're honoring the word of God by doing that and let God work on his heart and life. Now, I know a lot of ladies that um, their husband said, we're not going to tithe off all our income, but they have an income and they've asked for their husband's blessing. Can I tithe off of my income? And we've seen many husbands uh, give the blessing to do that. And so maybe you can ask and he might be able to allow you to, to do that. Um, we are so far behind in bills, is there a similar, or excuse me, is there a smaller amount that we should start tithing, like 5%? Y'all are laughing because you remember what we learned about the tithe last week. You can't tithe smaller than 10% because tithe is a mathematical term that means what? Tenth. So I, I don't think this person was, you know, intentionally trying to mess this up. I think they were just, you know, like a lot of people, they exchanged the word give for tithe and tithe for give. And tithing is 10%. So you can't give a, a smaller tithe than 10%. That would be giving. And so 5% would be giving, but it wouldn't be tithing. And so um, I would say this to, to this question. Trust God. Take God at his word, Malachi 3.10. That he says, try, it's the only place in the Bible where God says, test him and try him. Test me and try me in this area if you don't give me, you know, the tithe. If I won't pour out the windows of blessings from heaven. So much so that you won't even know what to do with it. And I would say, trust God with that 10%. Give God your first and best so he can bless the rest. And he can help you with those other bills and those other things. Now, it might mean sacrifice. It might mean life change. It might mean you need to sell some things. It might mean you need to change houses or cars or whatever. But I promise you, on the authority of God's word, if you put him first, he will bless you. And he'll help you with the other 90%. And so I think the best thing to do is trust God in that 10%. But I would say this, because I've heard some pastors say, well, if you can't tithe, then I wouldn't give anything, because it's not going to matter. And I don't know that that's true, because the, the most important thing is the heart of a giver, that we give. God wants us to have the heart of a giver, because God is a giver. For God so loved the world, he gave his son Jesus that we might be saved. And so I, I would say it's better to give something than nothing, but I think ultimately take God at his word. Trust God at his word in the area of the tithe. And, and speaking of that, um, last week we, we gave many of you an opportunity. We've done this uh, about once a year for the last three years called the 90-day tithe challenge. And it's basically taking Malachi chapter 3 verse 10, taking God at his word, and that you say, I'm going to commit to tithe for 90 days, 10% of my gross income. I'm going to give it you know, to God through the church as he's laid out in the scriptures, and I'm going to give it to him, and for 90 days I'm going to see if God doesn't bless me. And we, and we challenged a lot of you to sign up. We had over 77 families and individuals last week sign up for the 90-day tithe challenge. Isn't that awesome? 77. 
And I have received almost every day, I've already see, received a testimonies how God is blessing people that just signed up already last week. In your newsletter, if you guys take those out this morning, down on your connection card at the bottom, there's a box that says 90 Day Tithe Challenge. If you weren't here last week, or maybe you say, I've been praying about it, God's laid it on my heart, and you'd like to start this week, we'll get you in. Just give us your email address, check that box, tear it off, put it in the offering bucket when it goes by. I don't even need your name, but we're putting all of those email addresses together. You should have already already received those of you that signed up last week a, a welcome email and I've already sent out a couple of testimonies we've got some more we're going to send out next week and as God blesses you we want you to email those testimonies to us so we can email them out to everyone taking the 90 day tie challenge and we can all rejoice in the blessings of God and what he's doing now here's the here's the deal with the 90 day tie challenge for those of you that are struggling your faith to do this, we're going to help, help you have the faith we're, because we believe in this because we've seen God, what he's done in our life and the lives of others. If you start taking the 90-day tithe challenge, if at any point you don't believe or see that God is blessing you, you let us know and we'll give every penny back that you've given during that period of time. We'll give it all back. That's how strongly we believe in this and what God will do in your life. So if you didn't take it last week, you want to take it, sign up this week for that. And I want to read you. Can I read you one of the testimonies that came in this week? That'd be cool. This was like the second day of the 90-day tithe challenge. This is what God is already doing with those people trusting God with the tithe. Uh, this couple said this, I know it's only day two of 90-day tithe challenge, but I was so excited that I had to share what has already happened. My husband and I have been struggling financially for about the last five to six months. My hours at my new job were cut drastically to the point where I've, I've had no hours for four weeks in a row. It's obviously been challenging as well as trying to find any other work being six months pregnant. And so we've been going in the negative every month for six months. We haven't been tithing recently because we were so afraid of missing payments or losing our home. But God has been speaking to us through the Dave Ramsey course we just finished and then the very next week you started the Strap series. We were starting to think these things were not a coincidence. So we bit the bullet and decided to step out in faith and signed up last week for the 90-day tithe challenge and tithed on Sunday the very small amount that I had made the last week. Well, wouldn't you know, yesterday I got a call to a job and I also had three more clients today. Remember, she went four weeks with nothing. I was giggling when the calls just kept coming in. My husband also got a letter from his sergeant asking him to work some overtime this evening, and he got signed up for another one this Friday night. Amazing. With just these hours we've been blessed with so far, we already have enough to make our minimum payments for this month and don't have to worry about where it's all going to come from. And, and it's not even the first yet. I'm actually excited for us to get paid so we can give back to God what he has already blessed us with. We're so thankful not only for the extra income, but just the peace of mind and the release of stress when you don't have to worry about where the money is coming from. It's such a blessing that God is faithful even when our faith wavers and we stop, and we stop trusting him. He is a God of second chances. Isn't that awesome? Day two of the Tide Challenge. Well, I'm going to toss it back to Dave for our final few questions. He's also going to answer a couple of questions on tithing and a couple other things. So watch this. Well, again, the tithe, by definition, evangelicals for hundreds of years have pretty much agreed it's a local church thing. Now, there's lots of different brands and different ways of looking at things in Christianity, and I'm not upset about it, and I suspect God's not really upset about it. So quit looking for the details or the legal rules and get the principle. The principle is when you give, it changes you into a giver, thus making you more Christ-like. That's the big deal here. Now, again, 
evangelical teaching and what I do is your local church because the local church is the New Testament model of the Old Testament storehouse where the Levites were paid, they were the pastors, and, and where the widows and the orphans were taken care of. So your local church ought to be taking care of that single mom that's struggling, ought to be taking care of the widows, ought to be helping the poor, ought to be doing those things out of the tithe, and you need to, you need to hold them to that standard, but don't get all legalistic about it. I give a tenth of my income there, and I give a lot more to other things too. I tithe on the gross uh, because I don't think taxes are what were meant in Deuteronomy when it says to give a tenth of your net increase. That applies to a business net profit before taxes. So I tithe on the gross. I've seen really good Bible studies that were convincing both ways. And the way I figured it is I'm kind of a simple guy. I'm going to tithe on the big one. That way when I get up there, if I'm wrong, I'm still okay. Absolutely. You've got two options. One is take four extra jobs and pay that thing down to what, is, what it's worth so you can sell it. Or the other thing is find someone, a bank, a credit union, it might even be the bank that loaned you the money on the car, to loan you the $4,000 that you're in the hole. And so I'd rather have you $4,000 in debt than $22,000 in debt. But you've got to be able to cover that four in order to sell it. Because if I'm the buyer, I bring you a check for 18, the bank's not going to give you a title until you put the other four with it. So you've got to have that four figured out from somewhere. But I, I would figure that out and I would get out of that. That sounds like a trap to me. The biggest one's eating out. You know, you don't need to see the inside of a restaurant while you're getting out of debt unless you're working there. I mean, you just need to stay away from there. Eating at home is 80% cheaper than eating out. And, and uh, you know, it, it's just ridiculous. And, the, le and the, it, the more you cook from scratch versus pre-prepared in from the grocery store, you'll save that much more. Now, it's more labor-intensive, obviously. It's also better for you. And, and so you get a better quality meal that way. That's a big big one right there. And then the others are stuff like, you know, things we take for granted. We think vacations are like a necessity. They're not a necessity. You're not going on vacation. You're cleaning up your dad blame mess. And Christmas, I mean, I love Christmas. I mean, it's Jesus's birthday. I get that. But people have gone bananas at Christmas. And so, you know, Christmas, one year at our house, it was a craft. You know, I mean, it was, we were trying to get out of our mess. It's not hard. So, so, you know, it's different things with different people, but, but sometimes it's, you, you can look at it. Here's what I have found. The more passionate you are about getting out of debt, the deeper you will sacrifice, therefore the faster you will get out. So there's a direct tie between the level of how fired up and wired up you are, game on, baby, and, and how quick we're going to get out. You'll find those things to cut, and you'll go to the other side and start adding income by working six jobs, man. I mean, you know, you work like a crazy person for a short period of time, work like no one else, so later you can work like no one else. You know, I, when Sharon and I were broke and bankrupt and our marriage was hanging on by a thread, we were about to kill each other, I remember that. It's like every nerve ending is raw. You just feel like, don't, don't touch me. You know, like you've been in a car wreck or something. It's just, it's awful. And the, now, all those years later, I look back and I see the trek we've been on. And the thing I remember is our life is not a snapshot. You're not stuck right there. Your life is a film strip. 
And so the next frame, something's going to change. And the next frame, something's going to change. And the next frame, something's going to change. Some of those changes are called God's blessings. Some of those changes are where you understand what you sow is what you reap. And so I figured out I had to quit sowing so much stupid because I was reaping desperate. The big wins are pretty simple. When you start getting control of your money, it forces you in order to do that to get control of other things going on in your life. And so we didn't realize it when we started, but now two million people later going through the class, we know that you're actually, a lot of people get their marriages healed. And we're not a marriage counselor, but when you have to discuss everything about life on the budget, it makes you discuss everything about life. And we see families start to be able to deal with different kinds of boundary issues and toxicity. And, and we see even people lose weight because once you get control of one area of your life, it gives you the power and the hope to believe that you can do it in other areas. You don't feel so, uh, so, so lacking in power, so powerless. And so that's what I believe the big takeaway is. Yes, getting out of debt's important. Yes, being on a budget's important. Yes, tithing is important. And all of those things weave together, though, to create this holistic thing that it just blows your life up, man. It changes the way you do everything. And that's why we're so excited about it. All right. Well, I hope you guys have enjoyed uh, this strap series. I hope it's been very practical to you guys. Yeah, praise the Lord for that. Um, I know we have mentioned Financial Peace University several times throughout this, and a lot of the things that we did came, come from Financial Peace. But um, if you'd say, you know what, this has been great, but I still need a lot of help, and I keep talking about financial peace, and you've never been through that, um, we actually have had a couple of people step up just in the last couple of weeks that are going to host a financial peace class for Orchard Church this summer. And so in your newsletter down at the bottom of that box by 90 Day Tide Challenge, it says FPU, sign me up for that, and your email address. And so if you'd like the information, the details, what night that's going to meet on this summer, they'll be starting right after Memorial Day. They run for about nine weeks. And I'm telling you, if you have never been through Financial Peace University, you need to go through it. It is life-changing. It is incredible. You'll enjoy it. Dave Ramsey is just in, he's just awesome. He'll give you the tools. So some of you, um, if you haven't done that, if you, you really need help, get involved in a couple of those classes uh, this summer. Give us your information, and we'll, we'll let you know exactly when those are. Well, we're going to end strapped how we started. Proverbs 22.7 says that the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. 55% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. The Bible says that when we're in debt, we are strapped, we're in bondage, and we don't want to live that way any longer. We want to learn to live like no one else now, get a hold of our finances so later we can live and give like no one else. Because as Christians, we don't serve money. We serve who, church? We serve God, and money should serve us so we can serve God and serve others. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? That's about nice close for just a moment. I just want to close and praying for you guys. Um, and I just want to ask, how many of you guys would say, you know, through this series, God has really spoken to me. God has spoken to us as a family. We know we've got to get a better hold of our finances. Uh, we need to apply some of these things. We need to make some sacrifices. We need to make some changes. We know we now need to be doers of the word and not just hearers. I just want to pray for you that you have the faith, that God give you the, the strength and the blessings to not be strapped. And so if that's, that's you and I could pray for you, would you slip up your hand all across this auditorium? Yes, God has spoken to me. There's some things we need to do differently. I mean, it might be a budget. It might be some things you need to sell. It might be you need to start tithing, whatever. Just slip up your hands all across this auditorium. Everybody, lift them up. Lift them up. Lift them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Let me just pray for you guys. Father, I pray for everyone here 
Lord, who knows they need to make some adjustments in the area of finances. That they need, if they need to get out of debt, Lord, if they need to have a, a budget, a spending plan, Lord, if they need to take an extra job, if they need to sell some things, if they need to downsize, Lord, for those that have not been tithing and putting you first with their, giving you their first and best so you can bless the rest. I pray, God, that you would just give them the faith, that they would step out and they would try you in this area like Malachi 3.10 says, and you would open up the windows of blessings. Not always financially, but, Lord, in, in ways that are even greater than money can buy. And that you would just continue to flood us with testimonies of those that are stepping out of faith in this area and all the area of our finances, Lord, that we would, would live according to your scriptures and that we would not live strapped, that we'd live free to serve you and give back to you, give back and help other people. And put your hands down. And then if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I've said this every week, God's not interested in your money, he's interested in your life, he's interested in your heart today. And the greatest debt that you have before you put your faith in Christ is your sin debt. And the good news is that's been taken care of. Jesus went to a cross 2,000 years ago. He died and he bled and he gave his body and his life, his blood for you. He was buried and he rose again. And he conquered death. And you can put your faith and trust in him and know today that your sin debt, the greatest debt that any of us carry, can be removed. And you can have your sins forgiven and you can have eternal life. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to give one another opportunity. If you're here today and you say, you know what, I'm ready to accept Jesus. I'm ready to have my sin debt forgiven. Let me lead you in a prayer of, pray, prayer of faith that you can pray from your heart to God's right now and you can invite Him into your life. And it's not, it's not the prayer, it's not the words you say, but it's your faith in your heart where the prayer comes from. And it goes like this if you're ready to accept Jesus. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again and you're alive. And I want to have a personal relationship with you, Jesus. I ask you to forgive my sins. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, today for saving me. Thank you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you just prayed that prayer of faith for the first time, would you just slip up your hand as a testimony? I want to pray for you and your new relationship with Jesus. Anyone? Just say, yes, today. I prayed that prayer of faith for the very first time. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you for those putting their faith and trust in you today. I pray that they would grow in their relationship with you, that as a church we would embrace them and, and disciple them to maturity and help them in any way we can. Thank you for this series. Thank you for your word. Thank you how practical it is to this very important area of our life because we know where our treasure is. There our heart is also. And what you want more than anything is our heart and that we would be doers of your word and not just hearers only. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Let's celebrate decisions for Christ today. Amen.